This is your Other Brothers Podcast. your other brothers podcast navigating faith homosexuality and masculinity together from the jewel to blue ridge sitting on the floor with my standing desk once again my name is tom and i'm so glad you are here um joining us today for a very special episode from the city of oaks it's our other brother ryan what's up ryan not much hello everyone good to imagine your faces And very special, joining us from the Midwest, it's our other brother, Dean. What's up, Dean? Not much. How's everyone doing today? Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. You know, we have Team Old School and we have Team New School. And then what we have today is what I've dubbed Team Middle School because we are merging. (laughs) (laughs) Can't we call it a crossover episode? (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, <laughs> withdraw from this school. To, I was trying to think of a good name for this team here because, yeah, that, I don't know. I want a team kick. I'm trying to enhance enhance brotherhood. You know, we're all on a team. We're on the team of brotherhood together, and and that's what I came up with was team middle school. So, like it or it not, it sounds more like you're stirring the pot. <laughs> that was the intention as well. The only team I care about being on is Wildcats because that's where it's at. Wildcats. Oh, oh, oh! High School Musical. Oh my gosh, that took you way too long. This is a gay movie reference, isn't it? It took me a long time. How dare you both (laughs) revoking your game I have seen all three high school musicals, so I know. It's just not at the forefront of my brain as much as maybe it is yours. It should always be at the forefront of your brain. I don't know why high school musical isn't automatically at the forefront of your brain. I'm sure plenty of our listeners caught on way quicker than me. And so I apologize to those that were screaming in their cars and at the gyms. Well, they're not at the gyms because they're closed. Um, Some of them are anyway. But anyway, I'm so glad you guys are here today. I didn't already say that. So glad you're listening because today's special because every once in a while we, we open the doors to the Yobcast studio and we just see who wanders in. Like who's gonna come in today? We have our either team old school, new school, middle school, whatever you wanna call it. But um, but we've been blessed over the last couple of years to have some special people traipse on in here and share their perspectives um, from maybe outside of what I've called hashtag the Yob bubble, the Yob bubble. So today is gonna be a great episode because we're talking with Bill Henson um, who leads this incredible organization, Lead Them Home, Posture Shift Events, He's an amazing individual. Dean and I have connected with him so many times over the years, Dean more extensively than me. But um, but he's just like one of the most knowledgeable, empathetic, just understanding people. Like if you want someone to go to a coffee shop and talk to, like this is this is the guy at the top of the list. So um, I'm so excited that he agreed to be on our podcast today. And we're gonna have, I know we're gonna have a great conversation with him. It's gonna be fantastic and and getting to share about what he does um, as we talk about LGBT outreach and ministry as we talk about loving people well that's the the goal of today is to hopefully walk away loving people just just a smidgen hopefully or maybe more maybe a maximum amount better so i'm looking forward to this conversation uh he's all that 
in addition to being the son of legendary puppeteer Jim Henson. So I am looking forward <laughs> to asking him about um, about his uh, participating in his father's legacy like, what as well. Was, yeah, what was Kermit like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, did, was, did your father ever talk to you in the Kermit voice growing up? Mm, mm, that's a great That's a great question. I hope you ask him that. More, more importantly, did you get the talk in the Kermit voice? <laughs> oh, going back to the talk episode. That's a good callback, Dean. Go ahead. And I mean, <laughs> Kermit is well aware where hands can go. So I think he's a great option to talk to you about that. Because... You know, of all the places this intro could have gone, Kermit giving the sex talk was not anywhere on my radar. So thank you, Dean. For That's why we're here. And Ryan, <laughs> I guess that was a combo effort of bringing that to the to the table. Today. This <laughs> was this is what happens when you call us Team Middle School. <laughs> Just throw that out there. You call yes. us Team Middle School. We're gonna make sex jokes with Kermit the Frog. Fair. I should have known. I should have expected that. Actually, um, y'all. It's been a while since the three of us have been on a podcast. I know. I, you know, I don't have the the archives in front of me, but what I what I always think about when the three of us record, and forgive me, listeners, if I've mentioned this many times or at least once or twice over the years, but but I just always go back to that episode where you uh, you Ryan, me, and Dean were in the closet together. Yes, no ventilation. Actually, yeah, yeah, this was like one of our first episodes. I think maybe the first episode we did coming back from a break, um, and it was the three of us in a closet, no air conditioning, and we sweat together. We breathe the same air. It's certainly not a safe COVID experience. This would be like a COVID Petri dish yeah. if, if that were happening at the time. But thankfully, this was an era. It's hard to believe there was an era before COVID, you know? you know. Yeah. I'll remember what that no. was like. I, I do. And I remember that closet very well because I think we found the air vent after we were done. And we all, I was angry because... <laughs> We were hopefully you weren't so angry hot. at me. Hopefully you're just angry at no, the universe. I was or... I was angry at the air vent for being so well hidden. <laughs> Honestly, the is the air vent's fault. It should have done better with its life. So I'm with you. Whenever the three of us are together, I'm suddenly like emotionally back inside a tiny closet sweating too much. Um I'm sorry. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this podcast today will be a better memory when we talk to Bill. I think Hopefully. I just have a, I have a good feeling that this will be a great, wonderful conversation. So so yeah, we'll replace the closet memory with with this one, even though we're separated by hundreds of miles at the moment. We'll replace the closet with Kermit giving a sex talk. I think I can do yes. that. Better. That's a happier image, right? <laughs> yes, I, it's happier for me. I don't know if anyone else will find that <laughs> oh, happy. It's so happy. Personally, I, I find it. it happy. I love it so much, y'all. Let's. Let's waste no time. Let's get to the meat of this episode. Let's do some announcements first. Um, so the voicemail, you guys, the, the Yob line, this is something that is taking off in a beautiful way. I'm so glad. I'm so I'm glad, so glad people are responding, picking up the phone, giving us a call, sharing all kinds of things, either sharing feedback on an episode or asking questions or giving us some good old encouragement. That's always helpful as well. Um, and sometimes if they feel so inclined, they give us suggestions because um, I'm open to feedback. Like I'm let's improve. Let's, how do we improve this thing that's called your other brothers? And so we got this voicemail from one of our faithful supporters named Alan and let's hear what Alan had to say. Hey Tom, it's Alan here. Hey, uh, so I was just listening to the podcast and had a thought, you know, with the sponsors, I really think you need like a specific like time, you know, how a lot of podcasts have a little sound where you're like, Oh, Oh, it's time for the ad break. And then just read, you know, just give us the, the sponsor. Um, 
I don't know. I just thought it'd be kind of funny to have like a distinguished time for the quote unquote sponsor. And also now I'm hungry for cake. So thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Alan, for that. You know, you have no idea how many times I've actually thought about this concept of adding, like getting this show, you know, where we were trying to amp up the professionalism, whether it's coming across or not, I don't know. But but the idea of a jingle or a chime for something like the sponsor is actually something I've thought about. And Dean, I feel like you would be the perfect person to like recruit to do this. I, I feel like I've suggested several times Have you getting jingles for things, and I've oh, yeah, come yeah, up yeah. with the jingles. Uh-huh. Uh, we had, remember the Brother Beat? That's right. I used to do the R.I.P. The Brother, the brother Beat. On here. <laughs> um, I feel like Yabalog, I do like the Yabalog when it's time for uh, that. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. So I, yeah, honestly, thank you, Alan. I've been saying this for a long time, but I guess someone else had to say it for Tom to actually listen shocker i know i'm sorry no i do recall as you were saying that i remember you you saying it generically that we need more sponsors more jingles rather but as far as specifically for this i just had never made that connection until now so i don't know do you have one do you right off the top of your head is there something that you could sing or let's see (laughs) uh this is for the this is for the sponsor so um the yob sponsor the yumpsner here we are Uh, the microphone unfortunately did not capture the visual of the finger guns so Uh, you have to to imagine imagine the finger guns on beat at the end of that so we'll do like that yeah that'll be the audience participation our listeners will just have to do the finger guns every time you do the uh, sponsorship jingle so listeners, what you need to do right now, wherever you are, even if you're driving a car, you need to get your hands free while driving a car. And when I finish, when I cue you, you're going to do finger guns. Okay. So ready? I'm ready. The yob sponsor, the yobster, go. Finger guns. <laughs> Perfect. We're going to work on it. We got uh, plenty more podcasts. We're gonna, to work we're on. That was beautiful. Practice that. Hopefully again. Got- if you were driving and did the finger guns, you're still driving. You didn't crash. We take no liability here at Girl the Brothers for your driving skills. I feel so connected to our audience and to our sponsor now. <laughs> See, isn't the isn't the Yob line, the voicemail, such a conduit for connection? I feel there's all these layers, new layers of of dialogue and connection with the people who decide to listen to us wherever they are. So thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, to today's sponsor, because we're talking about among other things, among other things, we're talking about outreach. Um, what better to reach for the outer parts of your back than with a back scratcher, back scratchers? Those things are heavenly. Can I get an amen from my castmates? Actually, amen. yes. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Because Wait. I actually, yes. Back scratchers are good. I Wait, this is the I first sponsor. Team? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the first this is sponsor. This is historic. So not only have we created a jingle for this Yob sponsor, the Yobsner, finger guns, but he actually found a sponsor I could support. Congratulations. It's only taken how many freaking episodes? Um, 65, but that's who's counting. <laughs> yeah, I'm so Guessing glad. I'm so glad you support our sponsors. Yes, back scratchers. It's uh, when you need to reach that extra reach, this, that outer reach. For scratching your back, get a back scratcher. Um, thanks for sponsoring this episode as we talk about outreach, loving people well in the LGBT plus community. I'm so excited. Such an obvious connection to make there between our sponsorship and our episode. I'm so grateful. <laughs> so grateful for all the support that constantly streams in to, to this podcast. Well, you guys, I am super excited 
This guy has been like on my my Yabcast bucket list for a, quite some time. I'm not not exaggerating. I've wanted to talk to him probably, if not from the moment I met him, certainly in the early uh, early stages of getting to know him and interacting with him. So, so without further ado, here is what is your role, Bill? This is Bill Henson. What is your what is your title? The founder, the the president, the the CEO of of, of Lead Them Home. Yeah, founder and president of Lead Them Home, uh, creator of Posture Shift, author of Guiding Families. And Tom, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me on. It's an honor to be here. Very nice. Yeah, I knew you had quite quite a few uh, ribbons in your hat as far as uh, things or whatever the expression is. Is it a ribbon or a feather? I think it's a feather, I, actually. I think it's feather, <laughs> Tom. I, yeah, that a ribbon in your hat? Like <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> we, we just call it credential. You know. Credentials. Lots of, things, lots of things to put on your um, LinkedIn profile. Let's say yes, that. exactly. A lot, of, a lot of different roles. <laughs> we love talking about LinkedIn here on the Outcast. Um, Bill, why don't you do a quick little like thirty second bio? Like, who are you? Who is Bill Henson? Before we start getting to the nitty gritty questions, which I know you love answering. Sure, uh, I I didn't go a ministry route. I was in the business world for. Uh, 17 years, and then in 2003, received a calling uh, to go into ministry, founded Lead Them Home in 2005, and have been at it ever since, uh, now about 15 years. Uh, I'm married to my wife, uh, Kong. We've been married about 21 years, and we've got a 19-year-old daughter who's in nursing school at University of Alabama. And then a 16-year-old son, he's about to turn 17. He's a junior in high school. Uh, we've lived in Boston all these years, but recently our family moved to Houston. So we're near my family in Houston, and my son is actually now going to high school where I graduated um, year, years ago. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I knew, Bill, that you had moved because last time, last time we interacted, I know you were, you've been in Boston for as long as I've known you and, and, and then some. So this is like a brand new, brand new dynamic of you being uh, in the in the middle of the country now. It is brand new. I am in a, a boxed up office uh, <laughs> that's being torn to pieces, and our home is basically has to have floors redone and everything. So we're in literally still the settling mode, and we've got a ways to go. So it's all brand new. Uh, the, the The sadness is we we love the city of Boston. We love New England and it's really, really sad to leave. Um, the blessing is that we're about 10 minutes away from my parents and my brothers. And so we've had a lot of wonderful family time since we got here. It's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Boston's such a great little town. I'm bummed that I never got to, cause I fully intended to make a trip up to Boston for lots of reasons, but one of them certainly would have been to see you and to like check out your world there. Cause I've, I've only been there a couple of times in my life, but the last time I was there was a few years ago and I just love, love the town, love the history, love the architecture, the streets, everything. Yes. Tom, how many times have we seen each other in other cities? I mean, I've had you on our panels at Pasha yeah. shift across the country from East coast to West coast. And it did not even dawn on me that one of those was not even Boston. It's never Boston. No, <laughs> we've been in California together. We've been in Florida together. We've been in St. Louis together. Yeah. But never, yes. never Boston, but yeah, we, we will be in Boston one day and I'll take you to dinner. Uh, Dean, Ryan, you all come, we'll all go to dinner in North end in Boston. It's like, being in Europe for the night. It's awesome. 
I'm down yeah. for that. I've actually been to to Boston to see you, Bill. Um, I've been there twice, actually. Uh, one time, and one time was in the fall. I can actually say that I've been to Boston in the fall now. So take yes. that. Uh, <laughs> I still haven't been to Boston in the fall. And you probably had our dog Bolt snuggling at your feet in the middle of the night. Too. I, he did. He was yes. very excited to see me, and <laughs> it was a little bit cold uh, and night because that Boston's a little bit cold in the fall. So I wasn't like complaining. I was just more like. <laughs> Surprised that, you know, the sudden friend in the room. <laughs> a friend in the room. I've seen Bolt actually going back and forth in your background, Bill. So who knows if he'll make a surprise audio appearance here here and there. But. Yes. Uh, and we have a new puppy. So you could ah. see Bolt or you could see Brady, who's only about eight weeks old, or possibly both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Brady is- named after a certain Thank football you. player? <laughs> I don't like culture war, so we'll just stay away from that one. <laughs> wow. Let's hope you have more Augusto answering these questions for <laughs> progressives. Yeah, I just well, made a promise. Line, I said, I, don't know. I just made a promise. I said, hey, uh, Tom, Dean, Ryan, you all ask anything. You know, I, I'll respond to any question. But, you know, people from New England, we know that when people ask us a question like that, they're really not asking a question. They're, they're saying, <laughs> There's some oh, subtext. this prideful Patriots fan. Mm-hmm. It's the question behind the question, as you talk <laughs> a lot about Bill. The que- there's always a question behind that question. <laughs> yes. Hey, on a more practical note, Brady is the cutest little teddy bear puppy dog literally this dog looks like a stuffed animal i mean so amazingly cute so we're we're having a blast nice hopefully that's making the transition better <laughs> moving yes. across the country to a brand new place yeah, um absolutely. well dean dean or ryan do you want to ask bill a quest one question i'll allot one question just to get to know our our guest here today it could be as deep or as shallow as you'd like it to be <laughs> I don't know, i'm still wondering about the dog being named brady but i'll go away that from that one. one yeah thank you i try to ask good questions and i usually fail mm-hmm. um let's see for bill okay so what is your favorite restaurant around the houston area? Ooh. well or brady wants to answer that question <laughs> if our <laughs> listeners can hear <laughs> oh wow well in houston It is one of the most ethnically and racially diverse cities in the world. So we have whole sections of town that of the city that are known as like Middle Eastern sections of town, uh, um, Chinatown, Filipino town, all these different areas. Now, there's uh, also a lot of integration. So I want to be clear. This is a very integrated city Uh, in our neighborhood. There are all kinds of people from all over the world who live here. But my point is there are people that have never spoken a word to English and they live in a section of Houston where they can go to school, they can get a job, they can live and never speak English or speak little English. So it's an amazing city. And what that means is you get a lot of diversity. Now, I could say that I like a different, a lot of different kinds of food, but I'll just say the influence of Cajun and then Gulf seafood mixed together in the Boston or in the Houston area is amazing. So there are a number of restaurants that uh, kind of mix either Cajun Tex-Mex or uh, Cajun Gulf seafood and and Cajun steakhouses. 
and stuff like that. And I, oh, wow. We, there are endless, endless options here. And I, I love them all. There's one place called uh, Akima. And it's where the a lake goes out into Galveston Bay. And they have Kima Boardwalk, a big kind of, um, they've got all kinds of rides and stuff. But around there, they've got some wonderful uh, restaurants. And um, and uh, it's just endless. A lot of Cajun food. I love it. Nice. I can, I can, my sister-in-law's Cajun and her cooking, mm, delicious. So, yes. and, so Cajun Tex-Mex, I, I really want to go to a Cajun mm-hmm. Tex-Mex place because mm-hmm. that sounds like an amazing combination. Yeah. Like you could get, uh, you know, you could get crawfish quesadillas, you know, stuff like Ooh. that. So oh really, really wonderful. Good question. Yeah. I had no idea Houston was as big until I went there for the first time several years ago. And it's like, it's that it's one of America's largest cities. And like you said, one of the most diverse in the world. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So the question I'm going to ask you, Bill, is what is the funniest movie? Hmm. What is the funniest movie? Okay. So I am shallow. Uh, (laughs) Anything by Will Ferrell Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is just I love so Elf is one of our most favorite movies, mm-hmm. and we can watch it over and over again, whether it's Christmas or not. But any Will Ferrell movie, uh, it just that guy is so talented in in maybe not the most admirable way, but nonetheless hilarious. I think being able to make people laugh is a is a valuable gift, and and Will Ferrell yeah. is great. I, I do love Elf a lot. That was that's a great movie. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like a watered down crudeness. So it's a crudeness that, you know, when your kids get to a certain age, you can just kind of say, this yeah. is hilarious. You know, mm-hmm. there's other kinds of crudeness that it just goes too far. It's like, he never quite goes too far. So, you know, it's like, uh, uh, I wouldn't say family safe, but family sensitive crudeness. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like low brow without being vulgar. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. Your other brothers does not necessarily endorse the works of Will Ferrell, but there is appropriateness. There, there's. It's better. He's better, like you said, than other. Yeah, actors, absolutely. Out there. So we'll put. We'll say that. Good. Good question. Um, I'm going to wrap things up by asking you, Bill. Bill, I've always wondered this, and I have no idea. This could be just like a flat. I don't know, or I don't care answer and that's totally fine if it is but we're big into personalities here here in your other brother's land big into something called the enneagram if you're familiar or not and i was curious if you caught on to the enneagram craze and you know what type you are or if you just don't know slash don't care because there's yeah i've received that that answer to this question many times and that's totally valid four nine four or nine four four and nine Oh, so you when you test it, you test with fours and nines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I can see the, I can see the nine, like hardcore mm-hmm. can see the nine. And I would say a nine wing eight. Because I was thinking about that as you were asking this time, I was thinking about this and I was like, I was like, yeah, I feel like he's a nine. But there's, I've seen Bill like get into some discussions. Well, just <laughs> discussions. I've seen see Bill go to listeners. Yeah. Yeah. There's air quotes around the discussions. I've seen Bill go at it. So I would say, I would say a nine wing eight for Bill for sure. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not, I have some activist friends 
they hold me accountable to things that I've not done, but that other folks in our community have done. And they, and so I'm constantly in a setting where I have to be outside my comfort zone. And in some respects, I've, I've learned to like thrive and actually enjoy that things that are not necessarily natural to me. And I think some Sometimes that shows up in your your giftings, uh, just the experience of that. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Hopefully that gives our listeners a little bit of a framework for who you are, for those that aren't familiar. I will say, Bill, I have recommended Lead Them Home. I get asked all the time about like, what are some good resources for parents trying to walk their kids through something, through sexuality issues or gender identity issues, or um, I mean, the list goes on, all kinds of diverse scenarios, emails sent my way and Um, and it's always fun to be able to just point them your way. And we have plenty of our readers who have, um, or listeners rather, who have read your book, Guiding Families, and we have that on our website. So if anyone's interested in checking all that out, you can go to either our website, we have a resources tab or, or check out leadthemhome.org. And we're going to spend the bulk of our conversation today, just kind of talking about what Bill does with Lead Them Home. Um, so I'm going to go straight from your website, Bill. This is just, so correct me if any of this is incorrect or out of date, but I'm just going to read straight from your website, um, your about statement and who you are. Um, so Lead Them Home is North America's leading training and consulting resource for church and ministry leaders on LGBT plus inclusion and care. Our vision is loving LGBT plus people in the church via our mission to enhance church inclusion, increase family acceptance, protect against victimization, and nourish faith identity in LGBT plus lives. Does that sound accurate? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I'd say that um, our vision is pretty easy to understand. It's pretty easy for folks to accept. When we get into our four missional goals, you know, in enhanced church inclusion, people start to say, whoa, what do you mean by that? Mm. You know, increased family acceptance. Mm, Can I ask you a clarifying question about that? Protect against victimization, no problem with that one. Nourish faith identity. Hey, Christians want other people to become Christians. So, you know, like uh, there's no worry there. But just saying we spend a lot of very honoring time answering questions to make sure that people that uh, might read into something or misinterpret our missional goals, that they understand the context in which we're sharing those things. Uh, Example, uh, enhancing church inclusion. Why should our churches not be a place where people could discover Christ, right? And yet, if they can't feel safe in their own skin because of a fear of, you know, being actively condemned, well, we should do whatever is possible to ensure that folks could actually have a spot at the table to grow in their faith identity. So it doesn't mean we're turning over teaching authority or governance authority people that would take the church in a new direction. But it's just saying, look, we have a lot of work to do to make sure our our homes and our churches are actually loving, are actually welcoming and caring. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, when I was poking around your website earlier, I, did, I had no idea that y'all's name, Lead Them Home, came from a Leland song. I was like, it blew me away because I love Leland and I never made that connection until... Yeah, just preparing for this conversation, that, that that's where that came from. So that's so cool. I discovered Leland in probably 2002, maybe 2001. Um, I think Tears of the Saints came out in around 2003, 4, uh, something like that. It was relatively new when I went into the ministry. And the lyrics that grabbed me, first of all, it's a very amazingly 
a moving song. I mean, I believe it's spiritually anointed. Uh, there is God's fingerprints, the, 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 the love of God just, uh, you know, radiating all throughout all of their music, honestly. Uh, I would later learn they're from Texas City, which is only miles away from where we live right now in oh, uh, nice. the Clear Lake area in Houston. So really awesome. So that kind of uh, uh, just knowing they were t- uh, from where I roughly where I grew up made that even a more special connection. But the lyrics, there are schools full of hatred. Even churches have forsaken love and mercy. And then the, the refrain goes later, Father, we will lead them home. In other words, it's a song about taking responsibility, about saying, whoa, um, have we been played a role in why people have been propelled outward away from Jesus? Oh, gosh, if we have, Lord, we want to be with you, leaving the 99 to go get the ones that have been pushed away and to lead them home, in a sense, mm-hmm. to bring them back to Jesus. And so the inspiration of the song, we didn't quite mean for the, the name of the ministry to be so othering. There's a lot, a lot of deep uh, meaning in the name of the ministry, uh, Lead Them Home. And it comes from that song. Very powerful song. Yeah, that's so cool. So cool to hear the origin story. Because I literally had never heard that until, <laughs> until, and then hearing you elaborate was so cool to hear yeah. that too. Now, what's not helpful is that we live in a world where not a lot of people know about Leland. And then people that might know of Leland might not know the song Tears of the Saints or the line in the song. So lead them home over the years, not in the last few years, but, you know, there was a segment from about 2014 to 2016 where it seemed like every week someone was saying, why are you othering me by calling me a them? And of course, the whole message of our work for 15 years has been there's no us in them. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I've been working in ministry in this field for a while, too. And I find that people are very sensitive about optics and very sensitive yeah. about they read a lot. They read a lot of meaning into into every little thing. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're not going to we're going to be super sensitive about that. We're going to be uh, more than happy to explain the context in which the ministry was named. But I will say it was so serious that we really and even without that, we kind of became more known for posture shift rather than lead them home and then guiding families rather than lead them home. So we really let the brands posture shift and guiding families really, uh, I mean, it happened organically, but since it happened, we're like, oh, thank God that people know us more by posture shift now. So like when we share our work, oftentimes we're pointing people to posture shift.com mm. or guiding families.com. It, we're not hiding from lead them home or running away. We're certainly not going to go through another name change, but just saying that uh, if we can avoid triggering someone, we want to be thoughtful about that. I have a question while we're on just sort of the overview page. I noticed you use um, like the LGBT terminology versus language like homo- like same sex attracted or, you know, that kind of thing. And I was just yeah. wondering if you could, share about the decision to use LG, that, that language of LGBT identities versus kind of what a lot of people have been used to in the church? Sure. Great question, Ryan. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a confession to you all. Uh, the first vision statement we had was uh, loving homosexuals in the church. Uh, and, um, and it may have just been something more like loving homosexuals 
with the love of Christ or something, because it, it at the time it it may have sent too many red flags in terms of what do you mean in the church? You know, loving homosexuality in the mm-hmm. church. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as you can imagine, that didn't go well uh, o- over the in two thousand three. Mm, that would be common. In 2005, that would be like a big relational mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the early days of adjusting our language, it's very challenging for me. I, I wanted to be a good missionary, but I had these hangups that, oh my gosh, am I condoning? Am I enabling? Or am I compromising scripturally? You know, And the more I'd already studied a lot of missiology, been on mission trips around the world, so I had the education of what it takes to be a good missionary, but then I had these hangups of, oh, I don't want to be a called a heretic in the church. Well, now I've been called a heretic many times, so I'm I I, I don't I I do I'm not glib about that. I'm not sarcastic about it. Meaning, mm-hmm. when someone refers to me as a heretic, I want to understand what's your concern, and let's have a conversation about that, and then let's see where we have things in, in common and then where there are things that we might have different uh, sensitivities about 99% of the time I'll talk with an, a really super conservative evangelical that has a concern about that. And literally when we're done with that conversation, we basically believe the same things. Uh, but nonetheless, you have to have a relationship to work through that. The same thing on mm-hmm. the other side of the bridge, you know, like uh, missionally, we can't go into someone else's community or someone else's life uh, that has a history to it and then declare to them, Hey, you really shouldn't, you know, refer to yourself in this way. You should refer to yourself in the way that I prefer for you to uh, identify. And so when we, when we look at that through a framework of morality versus immorality, we could almost convince ourselves that, yeah, it might be biblical to go tell people don't do that. Missionally, Around the globe, we never see missionaries acting that way. In fact, early on when missionaries did do things like that, it actually cost them credential. And oftentimes they were having to leave the mission field because they had entirely lost trust with an unengaged people group, a highly marginalized people group. Mm -hmm. So in our ministry, we just decided to keep things simple. We want to honor people for how they see their own identity so we're going to reach people where they are as they are. And since most, since the majority of gay people or trans people would identify as LGBT plus, LGBTQ, however you want to say it, uh, we're going to relate to people where they identify. Mm. Now, <clears throat> of course, we still use the language of SSA or same-sex attraction as well. It's just contextual. If there's someone that has attractions, but they definitely don't see their identity as gay or they once did and now they don't, um, we, we, we make sure we honor people based on how they self-identify. That's great. Yeah, I, I love that outlook and that uh, perspective. Yeah, we used to, in our, in our vision statement, we, asked, we, we actually used to have LGBT plus backslash uh, SSA. And it became a stumbling block, not for people who have SSA. It became a stumbling block for LGBT people that were largely unchurched. And they felt like we're reducing uh, their identity, who they are, to a behavior Mm. or a mere urge or desire. And that felt dehumanizing to them. So we just thought, well, 
look, within the evangelical community, we know that we can convince people with us to say, look, our ministry is for you too. We Mm -hmm. care about you. We're walking with you. You have our full support. But for people that got propelled outside the church or who are, in a sense, unchurched, de-churched, well, it is an honoring thing to be uh, to defer to the, the sensitivities that they would have. Yeah, that's a lot of letters in alphabet soup too. And you when you string together all those, I mean, the LGBT yes. uh, one has enough as it is, and then you throw an yes. SSA on top of that. There is just so many letters going on there. At one point, now this was a mistake, but at one point. I got accused of being hateful for only having LGBTQ+. So I changed the vision on our website uh, to be LGBTQQIAAAP+. And then someone still said I was being hateful (laughs) because I didn't recognize that the spectrum cuts across both gender and sexual or gender identity and sexual orientation and both and each individually. And therefore I was locking out people. So at that point I just said, you know what? I, I think I'll just defer to LGBT plus. We left out the Q because um, Q has become such an all encompassing term that if we, that it cuts across gender and sexual orientation, that if we include it, it means the only people that we're leaving it out are intersex people, pansexual people. And so suddenly minorities of minorities of minorities are the ones being left out. So Mm -hmm. we decided leave Q out in a sense, but make the plus be inclusive of everyone that's beyond LGBT. And um, of course, people will do it differently and people will disagree with us, but that's the reasoning for why we did it that way. That's so interesting because yeah, I've always wondered the pros and cons of leaving out the Q because I've seen it written both ways, the LGBT plus and LGBTQ plus. And so it's, it's cool to hear that like little nuance of like the difference and why you, why y'all personally did that with, with lead them home. Yeah. It's, it um, one uh, perception that we often have in the church is that that community over there, <laughs> they're just all the same. Oh, different varieties of people, but all the same. And they're all for each other. And they're all, they all have the same rights and they all feel about the same. And the reality is within LGBTQQIAAAP plus, 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 there are people that ultimately have an old, uh, an ultra minority experience that is unlike anything that most LGBT people have experienced or LGB people have experienced. Mm. And that minority experience means that oftentimes they could even be mocked by people in their own community. They could be dismissed by people in their own community. And look, I don't, I'm not happy that that happens. That breaks my heart that people who are a minority of a minority group could then be ostracized within that larger minority uh, people group. And, and I don't celebrate that. But what I am thankful for is that if we actually love people the way Jesus loves people, we could actually be loving them better than they can be loved in their own community. And from a gospel perspective, that gives me hope we actually do have something to offer that could be more beautiful, more real, more touching, more helpful than what they might receive in their own community. Like, let's take a a trans young person that has real high levels of dysphoria. There could be gay friends or trans friends that they have. Just transition, you know, just stop rejecting yourself and transition. Well, some people transition or do different levels of transitioning. And guess what? The dysphoria doesn't go away. 
So they still have to live with that underlying pain. Or maybe they might feel like, no, I don't feel like I should transition. So they have to find a way to live in the midst of, and there could just be friends that are just saying, you hate yourself. If you if you loved yourself, you'd just go ahead and transition, then you wouldn't experience dysphoria. And that's just not true across the board. So no one can make an absolute guarantee, hey, if you if you never transition, you if you be faithful to God and never transition, your dysphoria will go away because God will relieve your suffering. Mm, this side of heaven, that may not happen. And hey, if you just transition, everything will be fine. You'll be golden. The dysphoria will go away. That may not happen. So caring for people like Jesus cares for people becomes this beautiful opportunity to live out the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Bill, uh because I've gotten the chance to work with you, I've gotten the chance to attend Posture Shift. One of the big things that you start off with there is acknowledging that you talked a little bit about this with Ryan a while ago. You said, you know, you look at it as missional, as missionary. And part of a, cr- a critical part of that is acknowledging that the LGBT community is a legitimate people group. It's not just random people who have maybe one thing in common and that's the only thing that ties them together. But legitimately, there's a there's a culture, there's a language, there's a history there. Could you talk a little bit more about how you developed that, and even you know how that changes the church's approach to the LGBT community to view them, to view the LGBT community as a people group? Sure. Absent a missional framework, we only have a moral framework, which is not just a moral framework; it's really a moral immoral framework. And if someone falls outside of a majority immorality, if someone falls into a minority experience that's within the realm of immorality, treatment can be really bad. Uh, Dismissing humanity can be bad. Uh, People can uh, be treated in an undignified way. People can be treated with a lack of kindness, and that can be called holiness. Um, Instead of us laying down our lives for people the way Christ laid down his life for us. We think we can just go tell people what they should believe or what they should do with their life. And then we've been godly. And so we can wash our hands in a sense. And hey, we we told them what they should do to honor God. Uh, It's up to them now. Okay. There's some right, there's some right beliefs in that or some right beliefs that have become weaponized in a manner that can lead to some really horrific treatment of people. And so through a missional framework, it doesn't neuter the the gospel. It doesn't neuter what's moral or immoral. It doesn't require that we change our position or shift our position, but we are absolutely called by scripture to shift our posture, our actions, attitudes, and words. So through a missional framework, we do what missionaries do all around the world. We say, oh, yeah, there is this moral, immoral issue to decide what do you believe biblically the Bible teaches. But beyond that, it's like, oh, but even if people disagree with me, there are still people that need Christ. And what am I going to do? Well, what do missionaries do around the world? Well, they go and they contextualize the gospel to people where they are as they are. But you can't just do that day one. You have to live in that community. You have to live with people. You have to immerse your lives with people. You have to get to know them. So best practice missiology says that if you're going to reach an unengaged people group, a highly marginalized people group, you better have the humility to be a listener learner rather than a teacher teller. 
you better have the humidity, the humility to go and learn about a people and recognize them as a people rather than trying to dismiss them as a people. So uh, in best practice missiology, missionaries make a commitment before they're ever sent into the mission field, by the way, to learn a people group's history, culture, and language in order to make sure that they can have the skills and the authentic skills to, le- to le- learn about people, engage people, develop trust, and then live their lives among people over the long term. One of the great failures in missiology is when people go to all that effort to learn all of that and go into the mission field and only last three months or six months or a year. The goal is for missionaries to last years. And that means it requires a dying to self. We have to die to our comfort zone. We have to die to our own culture in a sense. It doesn't mean we lose who we are or lose our biblical convictions, but we have to have a posture of humility. We have to have a posture of what does the scripture say about God? He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. God did that to reach us. Uh, I don't think he would call us to anything less in reaching other people in the world that have not discovered the great love of Christ. Yeah. And I love that in your description of all that, you did use the phrase posture shift, because that's a great segue into what I wanted to talk about next, because that's one of the big things. You've mentioned it already once, but uh, but talk a little bit about posture shift and what those events look like, because Dean and I have been blessed to be able to participate in some of those around the country. Um, but what's kind of the heart behind it and what's like the structure, uh, the structure of it? Cause then I want to share my, my first posture shift story after you explain what it is. Cause I oh, have, a good I will, <laughs> I will look forward to hearing that. That's great, Tom. So posture shift, it's a, a, a missional training platform designed for church leadership teams. When I say church, the wider church, so parachurch ministries or churches, uh, Christian counselors, Christian camps, Christian administrators and educators at schools and universities, all levels of the church. But it's a top-down leadership training. Uh, Our experience is that uh, church teams could send, a church leadership team could send three people to posture shift, and they could come back with a lot of passion, but it won't actually accomplish the implementation work that's needed because it's complex, and some of it can be controversial. So Posture Shift offers a top-down training platform that's a shared training experience where an entire leadership team can grow and learn together. They can experience objections, hesitations, cautions together. They can see where breakthroughs over concerns happen. They can discover a biblical basis for the teaching. Um, So in Posture Shift, we structure it as an introduction Uh, as developing a healthy missiology, developing a biblical grounding for that. In other words, a grounding has to be throughout all of scripture, not just one verse. And then we go into the missional segment of looking at LGBT people through the framework of their history, culture. By culture, it just means what's it like to grow up LGBT in our world. And then language issues. Language is every word counts. (laughs) And there are a lot of words that and phrases that we retreat to that are very offensive to LGBT people, primarily because once we learn they're gay, we retreat to only those things when we're trying to share the gospel. And it becomes very obvious that we're, uh, that we're judging them, that we're othering them, you know? And so we go through that. Then we go through a best practice care plan. We go through an inclusion model for executive leaders that help them understand 
How do you do this in a biblical way that makes sure that your leadership structure is able to continue to teach uh, from a traditional biblical uh, or an orthodox biblical view? And then we put leaders through in small groups through a series of about six to eight people studies where they're given all kinds of real life scenarios and they have to, as a small group, work through that. And then we come back together as a large group and talk about all the creative ideas that uh, leaders came up with. So two-day course. So this is playing out over uh, uh, two days and it's cumulative. The cumulative impact is it's measurable. Literally teams will start to get excited. We'll have people at 2 p.m. day one come and say, you know, when I was here this morning and we first started, I was like, where is this going? You know, the, the I'm very concerned about where we're going. And then they get in the afternoon, they're like, I am so excited about where we're going. This is filling in blanks for questions that we've had for years. We've been immobilized. Now I feel like we can actually move forward and actually live out the gospel in the lives of LGBT people in a more uh, productive way. Yeah, I love uh, I love the energy of end of day one going into day two because I've been to a few of a few of these posture shift events um, where it's just fun. It's fun to be a part of these tables and group discussions and to see light bulbs going off and to see. Um, just, just like a genuine hunger for empathy and understanding and how do we, how do we do this? Right. How do we do church? Right. How do we, how do we love people? Right. Um, yeah, I love, so the story I was going to tell was in 2017, I went to my first posture shift and one of your, one of the people on your staff reached out to me because she's been following my blog for years. Like she, I don't know how she found me, but years prior, probably like 2013, 2014, I wrote a book in 2013. So I think I know, I know it was around then at least, but, um, but she reached out to me because I was in Denver that summer. Um, and she knew I was in Denver and y'all were doing a posture shift in Denver. And she sent me an invitation to come attend this conference. And I had never heard of lead them home posture shift. Like I was like, what is this? Your other brothers had only been around for like a year and a half to this point. So I was still fairly new in this whole journey that I was, that I've been on. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I'm all about life experience and I'm certainly all about like networking and, and I was there. And so it was convenient timing that I was able to zip on right into Denver, right into your conference, um, or your two day event there. And, um, you know, I got to meet you like within, I think either the first break or the second break of the day, I got to meet you, Bill. And, um, and like you knew of me, I'm not sure how much you knew of me beyond my book. Cause I know y'all were selling my book at your resource table, which is really, really kind of you guys to do. Um, but then <laughs> my story is it's like, we hardly even know each other. We've exchanged five or six sentences. And then you, and then you ask me, ask slash tell me, so we're going to be doing a panel later. And I would love it if you, if you would go on and share about your story and your other ones. And so it was like within, yeah, within literally hours of knowing who you even were and what this, what this conference event even was that, uh, that I was sharing my story on a panel discussion at posture shift. And, uh, and from there, it's like, we were off to the races, Bill. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And, and Tom, you're, you're one person. I'm just like, I just know Tom will do such an amazing job, a beautiful job, humble job every single time. And, you know, like the great benefit about meeting someone that wrote a book that you read is that you actually kind of do know them. And so I loved your book and it gave me an insight into your heart. And it was, it was a joy to invite you into that panel that first day. Yeah, it was fun times. So my favorite part, Bill, of the posture shift, I love you and I love it when you speak, but I think the, the gold happens when you, when you turn off the mic and you let the groups discuss because um, my favorite parts of those conferences have just been like listening 
to a lot of gray haired people. They're like going through some of my favorite memories of posture shifts have been when we go through all of the, the vocabulary and there's like a, you have like a glossary page, I think of all these terms like gender queer, like hearing a 68 year old woman say the word genderqueer and then read the definition and be like, what is that? Or trying to figure out what's, there's like, a, I think there's an exercise of like what circle the ones that you think are offensive to the LGBT community and which ones, which ones aren't, which ones are just vocabulary neutral. And it's fun to just like see, uh, <laughs> see how they do, how do they test? <laughs> because, uh, but I'll be honest, when I first started those first couple of like going back to that Denver posture shift, there were some terms that like, I didn't know what genderqueer meant. Like I've been in this, this world for however many years I've been in, I had no idea what that term meant. And so it was, it was educational and productive for me too, as someone going those first couple of times. And obviously I, I learned as I went, cause I've been to a few of these things now, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's beneficial to pretty much anybody in the church because, uh, yeah, it's just relevant. Yeah. One example on the language at those small tables is, or small group discussions is there could be a youth pastor that's saying, yeah, well, def- well, queer is definitely okay. And then there's like a 60-year-old pastor that's just saying, queer is not okay. <laughs> you know. So depending on generation, the way I say it is queer was okay before it was really bad, before it was good. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in my generation, if you were called queer, it was a very derogatory term. But that's just not the case today. So we get that uh, cross-generational kind of experience of people sometimes have perceptions based on what words have meant to them over their life. And so it makes it really interesting. It's a, and it's a fun learning atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Bill, you've mentioned that you have one part of the shift is the, uh, the person studies. Are those based on actual experiences or did you just come up with random scenarios? Yeah, good question, Dean. We have a uh, kind of like a top 10 people studies that are uh, challenging situations that have been brought to us over the years. Like, for example, our number one uh, or yeah, our number one people study, it's been number one for 12 years now. Because it's one of the most common uh, things that uh, church leaders engage. But when we serve a team or, or when we go and serve a group of churches, what we'll do is we'll share with them our top 10 in the order that they usually get asked about. And then we'll ask them, oh, by the way, if you have real life scenarios or scenarios you've dealt with in the last couple of years that are different than these and you want those covered, then we'll substitute some of your real live life examples for our people's studies. And we'll have that happen as commonly as uh, church leaders relying upon our, our, our list. The key is this. Our, if we get through eight of the 10, we will cover almost every scenario where church leaders struggled the most. And so that becomes a real fun time. By that point, biblical apologetic buy-in is, is established Missional education is on the table. Best practice care plan, at least a little bit of it has been covered. And now it's let's get to work and apply this. So by the time you get past the third people study, church leaders are really starting to be creative about how to apply the principles. And they actually come up with unique things we've never even thought about. And then they're able to share that. Um, They get credit for those ideas and that helps uh, people, uh, other church leaders in their city to get pushed along that learning curve all the more. So it's a, really a lot of fun. 
Yeah. The people studies at posture shift for every, anyone who's been, I'm sure we have plenty of listeners who have been and who have participated, but um, they're really fun discussions because there's such, there's such relevant questions. Like what do you do when, you know, a gay couple in your church wants to play on the worship team? How do you, what do you, how do you respond? How do you deal with that? Um, or like, if you go to a sleepaway camp and one of your kids identifies as trans and where does he sleep or where does she sleep? Where do they sleep? You know, it's just practical real life conversations that need to happen somewhere. So why not in the the safe context of these groups and to be able to like flesh out all the concerns and to, you know, and to talk it all out. They're, they're, they're really great opportunities to, to be the church and to, and to get some practice. Uh, it's really, it's really great. So Bill, in my work uh, with the non-straight ministry at my church, the drum I'm always beating is that non-straight people, you belong at our church, not in spite of your sexuality, but in light of it. Um, and so as you talk about church inclusion, I just wonder if you could talk more about like, what does that inclusion look like? Like what, um, what kind of, uh, what kind of integration do you see, or do you want to see happening between LGBT people and the churches they go to? Sure. Uh, I, I, I want, I want there to be an experience in their heart that they're able to come away with community and a sense of belonging rather than just quote unquote, sitting in a pew. So there's a certain kind of way that we might convince ourselves that we're welcoming. And yet someone basically is only in the pew. Well, the pew is not the body of Christ. It, it, it can be a very valuable place where we worship God and learn about God's word and pray and, and do that communally. And that's super important. And that's an element of community but it's not the deeper element of community, which is, occurs in small mm. groups. Mm -hmm. So I would love for, for example, I would love for every church to have a highly trained small group that would be capable of including anyone. Uh, that would be capable of including uh, uh, a trans male um, uh, who's married to um, his partner, you know, uh, a non-binary person who uh, goes by they, them, there. I, I, I know that not every small group would know what to do with that. I know not, not every small group would be comfortable mm -hmm. with that kind of, let's say, in-reach, out, a kind of outreach that involves in-reach or inclusion. But I'd like uh, church leaders that like, whoa, we live in a world where there are all kinds of sexual minorities and gender minorities and they, like everyone else, need Christ. And how are we going to reach them? Well, we can't reach them if we don't offer a framework for inclusion where they could actually experience belonging. So let's make sure that we get uh, at least a, a one or two or three small groups that have a high missional skill set that they would be able to include people. And there wouldn't be people bickering over, what does this mean? Where is our church headed? Why are we doing this? Instead, they would actually see it as, no, we know exactly why our church is doing this, because we're living out the gospel to reach this generation for Jesus Christ. Like Tom mentioned, I've had the chance to attend several posture shifts, um, uh, helping out, working at them, all that sort of stuff. I actually, actually I think I only ever attended one. The rest, the rest I worked. Um, but I think... And this is, I, there's a question in here eventually, but the, the thing that I've always appreciated about posture shift is um, one of the things that has always, I've, I've run into in my own 
work in LGBT outreach and care is people will ask me, well, where's the theology? Where's this? Where, where's the faith? Where's the gospel? Where's all this stuff inside here? And it's, they say like, I'm adding on to it. And what I appreciate most about posture shift is that you, you can't walk away from posture shift without understanding that everything that Bill says comes straight out of the gospel. Like the, the whole gospel of humanity was unable to save itself. Christ came down, did what we could not, and now extends that grace to us. And you can't walk away from posture shift and not see that that is basically every aspect. The whole two-day process is filled with the gospel. Um, and so for me, I've, I've loved that. That's my favorite part, will always be my favorite part of posture shift, is the fact that it's literally just two full days where all you do is say, what does the gospel look like when we live it out? And so the question in all of that, Bill, is was that intentional for you to fill the whole thing and say, this is going to be completely gospel oriented? Was it, were you trying to try to give some knowledge and then bring it back to the gospel? Was that connection organic for you? How did that kind of process go to create posture shift and have it be literally two solid days of gospel training? Uh, when I first started, I really was naive. I, I thought just, oh, wow, best practice missiology. Understand a people group's history, culture, language. Let's do it. And without any foundations, I was running past people's discomfort, their cautions, and just trying to educate. And in the end, it wasn't generating any conversation or questions. Why? Because people were you know, hit pretty hard by the idea of, you know, like, well, but what about all of our biblical concerns? So at first I kind of like, oh, I, I feel those concerns too. Trust me. But I just kind of thought like, no, no, this is urgent. There are kids dying. There are kids being bullied. We've got, there are families that think they're being godly by disowning their kids and their kids end up being pulled into an underground sex trafficking network and, and are homeless and take their life. No, this is urgent. It's an, it, in the words of that Tears of the Saints song, it's an emergency. <laughs> Father, we need to lead them home now. We need to do something now. And then that frustration in me to be so urgent, it led me to make some mistakes. It led me to actually shame some people I was training. <laughs> well, if you're invited in to serve, you probably shouldn't go in and, you know, shame people. Okay, understand my heart intention was good. I, oh, I didn't even know I was doing it. I, I would never intend to do it. But my point is, I tried to bypass something really important, not because I was letting go of biblical truth, because I wanted us to so trust that biblical truth is still on the table. Let's get to the work. When I finally accepted, whoa, this is a stumbling block, and I just surrendered to the reality, I became overjoyed because I saw the fruit of, oh, wow, if we invest 15 minutes establishing a biblical foundation for this, all of a sudden it just unleashes the willingness of church leaders to open up to the missional education piece, and they begin to apply it immediately. So an example of this, the biblical apologetic, it shouldn't just be found in the, in the teachings of Christ 
or in the Gospels. It should be in the Old Testament. It should be in the New Testament. It should be in Revelation and in Genesis. So one scripture, Paul, uh, he's kind of, Paul never lets go of the holiness of God. Can we say that that's a true statement? You know, he's very sensitive about the holiness of God. But in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, Paul says, Oh, but to the Jew, I became as a Jew. Uh, to those under the law, I became as those under the law. Oh, I'm not under the law, but I became as one under the law. To those without the law, to those not concerned with morality at all, oh, I did not become immoral, but I became like one not having the law. For what reason? To dishonor God, to condone and enable sin, to compromise or neuter the scriptures? No, to contextualize the presence of Jesus so people where they are as they are. He concludes that, he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, some might be saved. He did it so that people might be saved. And that, I love the way he says, to all people, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means. So in other words, this holiness teacher is like saying, oh yeah, go live out a missional framework. Oh, and by the way, be super creative about how to do it. Oh yeah, and relate to people where they are as they are and build the gospel into people's lives from that point. So we find this all throughout the scriptures. There's some beautiful Old Testament examples. and But to have the leaders develop this themselves rather than us tell them what the apologetic is, that's the joy because suddenly the ownership, the buy-in, Right at the beginning of the teaching, it's just solid. And that changed everything. That's when literally the doors started opening to train national leadership teams. And I believe God was in a sense saying, look, if you're not going to honor people, if you're going to shame people, I'll close doors. But if you'll honor the hesitations and concerns and actually walk people through that and have them be part of developing the apologetic rather than telling them what it is, mm, then all open doors. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up that scripture because I was gonna, I was definitely gonna bring it up before we moved on from this conversation. Because that, you know, I feel like Paul gets a bad rap from a lot of people, but like that concept of Paul, like that's by far my favorite thing about Paul is what you just read from Corinthians about being all things to all people, and and the concept of just like not being so stuck in your in your ways and in your own little box because there's a huge diverse world out there that believes and operates in ways different from you. And I just love, I love the humility to be able to just adapt and change into, it's like, it's not about him. It's not about his ego. It's not about what he can make of himself, but it's about getting, getting the name of Christ out there and spreading the gospel. And that's what it's all about. And I love that, that you do that so well with posture shift. Like I have no doubt that churches and leaders have been, have been blessed to be able to go through this and to be able to just like, adapt and be a little more, even if like it's an ounce more flexible than they were before to have that sense of, of being all things to all people. Like that's, that's huge. And, um, I love just, I just love your quote too, where you, where you talk about a gospel of exclusion has no power to reach people because like, that's ultimately what we're trying to do is trying to show, um, the love of Christ and to bring them in, not to, to cast them out. So to close our conversation, I want to talk about justice because I know you have that listed on, on your site too, as a resource, as something that you guys offer and, and believe strongly in. Um, our justice initiatives. And, and so I just wanted to ask like straight up, what does justice mean to you? Um, why is it important? Why should, the, why should Christians, the church at large care about justice? Because the subtext of that question being, you know, and I, I don't want this to turn into like this super political podcast. That's like my worst nightmare. But, but I will say there are people there. I think there are people in the church. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of Christians out there. I think 
the term justice or, or especially the term social justice is like a big liberal progressive trigger that's like, nope, stay away. Don't, don't go down that path because it's a slippery slope. But, but why, why should Christians, why should the church care about justice and why, what does that mean for lead them home? Like what does, how do you live out that, um, that term, that name? Yes, it's a, it's a great question, Tom. Um, and I understand the, the concerns about it because there are different narratives that float around about what justice is or what it isn't. And, and oftentimes it comes at the cost of holiness. And, uh, and so there is something to be concerned about there. Uh, practically, the way we look at justice is um, where there is vulnerability or victimization, Christians should be the first to arrive at the scene if we're aware of it. And if we're aware of it and we sit on it, if we sit too long, then society will act. And then hence, it's called social justice. So in a, a practical example, in Minneapolis, there was uh, over a two-year period, actually only 18 months, there were, there were seven uh, kids that took their life primarily due to LGBT primarily due to anti-gay bullying. Okay, one kid dies. The community does nothing. Two kids die. The church, the school does nothing. Three kids die. The school does nothing. Four kids die. Five kids die. Six kids die. The seventh kid died, and the only reason it was so viral is because that seventh kid, Justin Auberg, actually took his life in the middle of a rash of suicides among LGBT youth that were being bullied all across the country. Um, and so it became a very visible thing that, whoa, this school district, a single school district has seven kids dying largely, not exclusively, but largely due to anti-gay bullying. Okay, well, who ends up being Jesus in that scenario? It could have been a local church. It could have been a local church leader. It could have been a parachurch ministry but instead it ends up being the U.S. Department of Justice that takes over control of that school district and determines, hey, you have trouble keeping kids safe in a public school atmosphere where, the de de where it's designed for kids to be able to be safe and learn? We will take over your school district and we'll make sure that it's managed in a way where all kids can be safe. That school only came out of federal control uh, about uh, five or six years after Justin Auberg's death. So this is an example. Now, I, I don't want to shame and blame the lack of action uh, in that one community. The fact is this could happen on any of our watch. And the importance is when young people, uh, people of any age, but when young people in particular are vulnerable or victimized, we want to be the first and in the name of Jesus to come to their rescue to help them. So for example, we'll offer a scholarship to any LGBT youth that has experienced uh, family rejection, homelessness, uh, something in the realm where their ability to go to college, uh, that, that financial ability has been stripped from them. If that's been stripped from them, we'll partner with a secular university or a Christian university, whatever, to make sure that they're able to stay in school. It's part of their dignity, their value, their worth, the capacity for them to actually get a degree so that they can provide for themselves rather than be homeless on the streets. And so justice, from my perspective, is very much gospel-centric in the sense that 
uh, Jesus constantly leads the 99 to go rescue the ones, oftentimes who are not uh, pure and holy, by the way. Some of the ones that Jesus reaches out to, they have a lot of sin in their life, people like us. And yet Jesus goes to them because he loves them. And he goes to them precisely because they're vulnerable or that they've been victimized. And so to me, justice is about the gospel. I know there's a social justice version that can get far away from biblical narratives, particularly around holiness. But my point is that doesn't, that does not, the lack of holiness is not an excuse to go help people that are vulnerable and victimized. Well said. Um, yeah, thanks for talking about justice, Bill, because I think I think that's something that I'm I'm on a fairly new journey on myself of learning what does justice mean for my life as a believer and and my church, the little C church, and then certainly the big C church. Like, what does that mean in in this day and age? Because um, I know go, having gone to some posture shifts, I know you've talked about like going to Orlando, going to the the memorial of the Pulse shooting, and 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 just paying your respects and being present there with people who are struggling or even suffering and just having a really hard go. Like that's that touched my heart to like hear about hear about how y'all are doing that and stepping into that um, with no agenda other than just being there to love people. And that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and I'm just really grateful. I'm grateful for uh, all that you do with lead them home. Well, like, again, I said at the top, we'll have a link to your website and to guiding families, which you were, you were kind enough to bring me on to like write something in there. So I, I have an excerpt of something in there and, and it's like stock full of like stories and vocabulary and education and, um, it's like a phenomenal, phenomenal resource. So I can't, can't praise it enough. It's like, it's really great. A bunch of our, a bunch of our listeners and supporters have, have, have benefited from that, that resource. So I'm sure, um, I'm sure we could talk about that for a long time. Cause I'm sure that was not like an easy project. And I know that was a, a long, <laughs> that was a labor of love. Wasn't it? <laughs> I see a lot of faces right now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It was a long <laughs> process, but the joy of it being done now We've got two versions, uh, about a 34 or 44-page Essentials edition and then a 150-page Expanded edition. Um, in about two weeks, our, our Expanded edition will be available on Amazon uh, in Spanish. Our Essentials edition is already available on Amazon in Spanish. So we'll have both versions in Spanish. Uh, it's available in Swedish, um, in Sweden, <laughs> uh, thanks to Seventh-day Adventists. That, uh, they've been a great partner on uh, uh, pub, uh, printing uh, guiding families and distributing it to their leaders. And they actually had some of their European counterparts want uh, copies, and so they printed it in Swedish. Uh, we've got uh, a, a young person that is working on translating it into French right now. So there's some really exciting things going on in guiding families, but the next step is Spanish. We'll be across the line in the next 15 or 30 days, and we'll have both copies available. Uh, the English edition is available at our website. The Spanish edition will be available on our website, but it will take you to the to Amazon. Very nice. Man, that's awesome. I had no idea all these linguistic opportunities were coming. That's really cool. Um, yeah, to close things out, Bill, I'm going to share a story with you. I don't know that I ever shared this with you. So this is fun. I love sharing new stories. But going back to that first posture shift in 2017 in Denver, um, like I said, I had no idea what who you were, what this was all about. I just was there. I was local. And and I was actually living on the road for like seven. I didn't know what the time what length would be at the time. But I was on the road for seven weeks coming back across the East Coast from Denver. Um, and so I spent a few days there and at posture shift and 
I had no idea why I was there other than it just filled some time. Like I had time to kill. So why not take a couple of days and go to this thing and see what it's all about. And, um, you know, and there were, there were lots of stories that came out of it, but I'll never forget going to my car the end of that second day. Cause I had, you know, just spent these two days with you guys and I went to my car and there on my windshield was an orange piece of paper. And I was like, what is, did I get a ticket? What did I do? What happened? What? Cause I was just parked where everyone else was. Um, there's an orange piece of paper with my name on it and it was a note. And so I picked it off my windshield and I was actually before this podcast, I was mad dashed through my house trying to find this note. Cause I know for a fact, I did not throw that away. Um, so my belief now is that I folded it and put it in a book somewhere or something. And it'll, it'll emerge when I least expect it. Like it'll, it'll be awesome when that happens, but I could not for the life of me find this note. Cause I wanted to read it, you know, live on the air. Um, but it was a note from a mom who had attended that two day posture shift. Um, super sweet. And maybe it's better that I don't read it word for word. I can just paraphrase it. But, uh, but she basically just thanked me for being there because her son had recently come out to her as gay and she had no idea. She was in this like brand new world of just like, I'm sure a lot of parents just feel like, Whoa, what just happened? Like it's a brand, my son or daughter just came out to me and it's something they've known for years and years and years, but this is something that's just hitting me like a torrent, like a wave out of nowhere. And I have no idea how to respond and how to react and how to be, how to love them as a mom, as a parent, and how to love them as Christ, certainly. And, and so she just thanked me because she, she got my book and she was just like, and she, you know, we had exchanged a couple conversations over those two days, but she was convinced, she wrote in the note that she was convinced that God had brought her to that conference, if for no other reason than to meet me and to have this conversation with me as a, and to have my perspective as, um, as a gay or an SSA person growing up in a Christian family, growing up in the church and how, um, and how, how I'm walking with the Lord through, you know, through it all. And, um, it was just the sweetest thing. Like I am so grateful if nothing else, like to, to walk away from those two days with that little orange piece of paper, I was like, this, this made it all worth it. And I'm so grateful for, for what Bill's doing to create this environment where moms and pastors and youth pastors, you know, people that are actively on a payroll for ministry and people who are just, you know, lay people (laughs) and just want to love people better, whether it's within their own family or not. And so thank you for just, creating that opportunity for so many people because it's absolutely making a difference. Absolutely, Tom. That's a beautiful story. I did not know that. And that means a lot to me. When we've had our panels, of course, we've over the years, we've kind of transitioned to having a lot of virtual panels. And, and that is educational, but it doesn't allow for those in-person you know, relationships to form. Uh, on the ones that have formed, there have been... Uh, Uh, People in the audience who have just gone up to some of our panels and just said, look, I know you have a loving mom and dad. I'm so thankful you do. But I'm just letting you know, if you ever need a place to stay, if you ever need anything, just contact me. Uh, My family, my home is your home time. There are church leaders uh, and, as you say, parents that attend. I love it when there are Christians, there are uh, church leaders or lay leaders who literally they internalize it, they own it, and they start to live it out immediately. They start to say to people, I, I want to make sure that in the name of Christ, people, LGBT people or SSA individuals experience the church living out the gospel, loving people. And so it's really, really awesome to hear that story, Tom. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bill, for taking the time to come on today. It was so good talking to you. I feel like we could talk for hours and maybe one day we'll do this again and dive even deeper, but sounds great. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to come on from your new place in Texas and I hope everything goes well. We didn't get to talk much about just like 
yeah, how COVID is impacting your ministry or whatever. But again, I encourage everyone to check you guys out. And, and if you feel inclined to give and support what you're doing, um, it's, I feel like the money couldn't go to a better, better place. So um, definitely wishing you all the best, Bill, with, with everything, all the work that you're doing. Thanks, Tom, Ryan, Dean. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege, and I'm just so grateful to have spent this time together as a joy. So thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Much love. Bill, uh, you cannot find someone who has a, a bigger heart for seeing the gospel spread to those who've been marginalized than mm. Bill. I, truthfully, I've had the pleasure of attending posture shifts. We've been working alongside him. Um, I've been able to be a part of the Lead Them Home team in so many ways uh, over the past several years. And it just... I will, I will never cease to be amazed by his heart and his passion for the gospel and seeing everyone experience it. So I'm so thankful we got to hear from Bill today. For all the listeners, I hope that this was able to bless you and encourage you as you continue to journey through faith. That's part of Yob. But mm-hmm. we are, you know, we're working through, we're working through masculinity, homosexuality, and faith as a critical part. And so for Bill, I hope this was able to encourage you today because I know it's, it has encouraged me just to be able to hear and talk with him again in this setting and be able to share that with all of you. So thank yeah. you again to Bill for an incredible conversation today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill is the best. That's not, an, that's not like a superlative. Like it's like a genuine, he's one of my favorite people, the way he loves people. And, and something I kind of regret now, not asking him, even though we filled our time quite well, like I think we had a fantastic conversation and, and, um, and we ran out of time. That was, that was the end of the combo. But something I kind of would love to ask him maybe in a follow-up someday is just like, how do you keep refilling the well? Cause I get the feeling like, like how tax, like I'm exhausted, the concept of loving people on a, such a regular basis. I mean, we're all called to do it as believers. So no one's exempt, whether you're leading a ministry or not, you know, it's like, we're all called to love people the same, but, but like, how do you like fill the well again and again, because people I don't know if you guys know this or agree with this, but people are the worst. Like I just get so exhausted by people. <laughs> yeah, people can definitely be the worst. Yeah. It's just like, how, oh, does, yeah. how do you maintain? Cause there's gotta be a lot of self care and there's gotta certainly gotta be a strong connection with the Lord. And um, I don't know. I kind of would like to maybe dig a little deeper into his own just personal. Cause we talked a lot about what he does with his job, which is great. It was a great conversation, but, but I, I kind of would like to dig deeper and just learn about like, how does he do it? Bill personally. And, and how does anyone personally love people? Well, when you constantly are like, I can only imagine the stories he's encountered of people who have brought tension or conflict or friction to, <laughs> to these groups and churches and meetings and conferences and things that he's been a part of over the years. I can only imagine. So, yeah. People are exhausting. That's why Muppets are important. I'm looking exactly. forward to asking him about that next time. <laughs> yeah, you Please didn't ask do. him about uh, his connection with Kermit, but we'll save that. For Bill Henson, the sequel, we'll hopefully have one of those episodes one day. Um, hopefully you guys have something to say, whether you've been, I know a bunch of you guys have been to Posture Shifts. It'd be awesome to hear your stories and your um, experiences going to these events because, uh, yeah, I know I've connected with a few of you guys who have been there. So um, please share your Posture Shift story. If you want to go to our podcast episode page at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast, find the episode 65 post on LGBT outreach and ministry and share a story, whether it's about posture shift or what you thought about this episode, the concept of loving, um, loving LGBT people inside the church and outside the church as well. Like what, what thoughts do you have? I would love to hear what you guys have to say. Um, and if you are so bold and so daring as our dear friend, Alan was earlier in this episode, you can also call the Yob line 24 seven 
and leave us a call, leave us a message rather. Um, we'd love to hear your voice. We'd love to hear either, yeah, your story, a question, um, a suggestion. I mean, the floor is open. So please tell us. 706-389-8009. Please call and tell me what you would like me, Dean, to sing next on your other brother's podcast. <laughs> yeah. Other jingle suggestions. I mean, do we need a jingle suggestion for like everything for the benediction for um, the announcements for iTunes reviews? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so many, so many options. The options are truly endless. endless. We'll see what the people say. So y'all feel free to call us. Um, and y'all, of course, if you're still interested in becoming a patron, we are trying to get to 200 patrons. That is our mission. That is our goal right now in order to bring the convo cast back. So if you're interested in supporting what we're doing with Yab, you can go over to patreon.com slash your other bros. And this is groundbreaking because we are introducing a brand new tier. This is what I call an experimental tier. <laughs> we'll see if it lasts, but I'm committing in my heart to, um, to bringing this new experimental tier for the next three months. So October, November, and December, you guys, we are starting our very own Yob Book Club. This has been something that people have been clamoring for for months now, if not years, but at least more vocally the last few months. Um, and so what it's going to be for $15 a month, if this is something that, that you can swing and it's something you want to jump in and try, um, we're going to have monthly Zooms for October, November, and December. And we're going to discuss a book. And I haven't decided what those are yet. I'm pretty sure what they're going to be. Um, two of them are going to be nonfiction and one will be fiction. And so we're just going to have a grand old time gathering for a couple hours, um, dates to be decided. Um, but that'll be starting sometime in October will be our first Yob book club. And if these three months go well, this could be a thing that sticks. And if nobody shows up and nobody reads the book or people are throwing are throwing hate language at each other because they disagree on everything then then this will be something that dies a glorious fiery death and so i'm excited really there's no it's a win-win situation there's no loss because it'll either give us dramatic stories or um or it'll be a rousing success so yeah book club 15 dollars a month y'all go to patreon today and join <laughs> dean i dean i feel like you're more of a fan of it going down in a garbage heap of flames like i feel like you live for that drama oh <laughs> i am i am personally cheering for a dumpster fire can we have a big labels dispute that would be a great part of our book club discussion dean needs to spearhead the film club <laughs> yeah film club there you go this i am down for so that many things we oh i am I am down for starting a film club. We're going first. We're going to start with the modern classic Mean Girls, and we are going to have yes, we're going to have that debate. Does Aaron Samuel's hair look better pushed back? That's thirty minutes right there. Yeah, be ready. And I have strong opinions about this, and y'all are going to hear about them. Every high school musical, maybe High School Musical, make it into this rotation. Uh, oh. Stay yeah, tuned, y'all. We're going we're to compare Troy Barnes singing in High School Musical 1 when it was the voice actor versus High School Musical 2 and 3 when Zac Efron sang it. We're going to do a compare and contrast. Who was better, Zac Efron <laughs> or whatever the voice artist was? I saw, a funny, I saw a funny meme or something the other day where it was like, yeah, when I was a kid, I thought Zac Efron was so hot. And now as like a 30-something, I'm, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, ew, he's so like weird, gross looking. But his dad is so hot. <laughs> 
So, That'll be the other so there's, discussion. There's a, there's a great discussion there, Zac Efron versus his father in the movie. But that's a that's you have to that's a deep dive. I regret opening this can of worms. <laughs> we um, go, I do y'all. not. Thank you for opening this can of worms. I greatly appreciate this, Ryan. We got to go, y'all. But stay tuned because yeah, if you're uh, follow the Patreon page, we'll have more information about this Yab Book Club coming soon. Um, and in the meantime. Man, what a great episode with Bill. Again, big thanks to him. Big thanks to Ryan and Dean for coming on this episode. Uh, We'll try and recreate the magic again next time, as we always try to do. For all your other brothers, my name is Tom. This is Ryan. I'm Dean. Hugs and kisses. Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. See you next time, everybody. Bye, Bye, everyone. Go watch High School Musical. Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Our show is edited and produced by Thomas Mark Zuniga. Theme music is Fear Is Not My Lover by Nathan Rousseau. We'd love to hear your story. Comment on this or any of our episodes at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Or share a story to play back on our show by calling us at 706-389-8009. You can also email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com. Or write to us at Your Other Brothers, P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. If you enjoy our show, consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Your Other Bros. Finally, if you'd like to further support our storytelling, community-building efforts, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly on Patreon and receive perks, like bonus podcast content, access to a secret Facebook group, regular group calls with fellow patrons and authors, and more. Visit patreon.com slash yourotherbros for more information. Until we journey next time, we're glad you're with us.